You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network. Your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm joined by my friend Gil Martin, and my name is JJ Leahy. Gil's a writer for thesportsdaily.com and Cheesehead TV. And in addition to this podcast, I host the Daily Cheese Green Bay Packers News Update. We're here to talk Packers because we're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. Guiding you through the offseason from free agency to the draft and all the way to OTAs, we've got you covered. If you have a question you'd like us to answer for you on the show, hit us up on Twitter at JJ Leahy or at Gil Packers, or you can email us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Gil, we do have some listener questions to get us kicked off. Awesome. Uh, first, from Nick on Twitter. What are the post-draft needs on this team? What positions should they have drafted this year that they didn't? Which sets us up nicely to talk about the draft, which I'm excited to do. Yes. Post-draft needs. I got an easy one for you because Goody himself brought it up. They are going, they will 100% sign a minimum of at least one more quarterback. He said, basically, we would not think of going into camps with less than three quarterbacks. And Here's an interesting point. He told us that they have been in talks with some veterans, uh, and he has his eyes on some rookies as well. So expect the Packers to sign anywhere from one to three quarterbacks. They have two on the roster. One doesn't want to be there, and they need a minimum of three in camp. So I think it's highly likely that he signs two quarterbacks would be my guess. Yeah, and the unfortunate caveat is one of them has to have the ability to step in and start. Um, Which is why a veteran would make sense. Yes, yes. But uh, I don't know how many veterans that can step in and start are really, you know, out there right now. Um, One or two maybe, but uh, no one that's going to bowl me over. I'll put it to you that way. Well, uh, I hear Jay Cutler is still out there. Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm pulling up uh, free agent quarterbacks here. Oh, why did my page just refresh? I, I really don't like Track. It's just a, such a frustrating site to use. All right. Uh, Alex Smith. No, he's retired. Why, he why retired. is he on this? Okay. Uh, RG3 is still out there. Josh McCown is still out there. Uh, AJ McCarron, Matt Barkley, Blaine Gabbert. Jameis Winston is technically, technically still out there. Brian Hoyer, Blake Bortles. Oh, here's one. How, how do you feel about uh, welcoming back Brett Hundley? <laughs> Nick Mullins, no thank you. You know, the fact that I said no thank you means that's that's the guy they're going to go sign. That's the guy they're getting yeah. on a multi-year deal, too. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Just a couple guys left on this list. Joe Webb. Jacob Dolagala. I don't even know who that is. Yeah, neither does he. He was he was on uh, in New England. Kurt Benkert and Jake Rudock. Those last few guys I've never even heard of. Yeah, and there's a reason for that. No offense to them, but uh, none of those guys strike me as starter, 
you know, material unless it's an emergency. Jameis Winston, maybe. Um, yes. And, and I will say, but, you know, just just between you and me and our listeners, Jameis Winston got LASIK at, after the last game that he started. And I just have always wondered if that would clear up his interception problem. Yeah. But look, the Saints had him and they let him go. So. That is true. Blaine Gabbert, Blake Bortles, Brian Hoyer. One of those guys probably is who we're looking at. Uh, but I'm, my money is probably going to be on one of these rookies, I guess. And look, plan A for the Packers is still Aaron Rodgers. Uh, we heard that all week long. Brian Gutekunst, Matt LaFleur, Mark Murphy, all of them said we plan on having him back. They expect him to be back. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Got to have a plan. Yeah. Um, got to have a plan B too, though. Yep. I mean, uh, and and you know, I don't see that from this draft, but uh, we'll see. So, part two of his question, part two of Nick's questions was, what positions should they have drafted this year that they didn't? I, I think the easy answer right here is, uh, I think that they would really have liked to get a linebacker, but the board just didn't fall that way. I think that whenever they were on the clock there were always guys that they liked a lot more than any of the remaining linebackers. And that, that just happens. And we know the Packers don't place a high value on linebacker. They did. Dr- well, they grabbed they one in draft, the sixth round. They did in the sixth round. I think they would have liked to get one earlier. I, I don't think that they are expecting Isaiah McDuffie to come in and be a starter or, or to beat out Kamal Martin and, and Chris Barnes. No, no, but he might beat out Ty Summers for the primary backup spot. I'm sure he will. I, I, I would be surprised if LaFleur is even considering Ty Summers and Oren Burke's defensive players at this point. They're probably just only special teamers. That's how they've been right. talked about every time they've been brought up. It's only like break glass in case of emergency. Exactly. You know? uh, do you have any other positions that you think they should have targeted that they were not able to? Uh, safety might be the other one. Uh, I mean, they did draft... Uh, two defensive backs overall. Mm-hmm. You had Stokes in the first round, and then Shamar Jean Charles in the fifth. Neither but of those both guys cornerbacks. Are yeah, right. They're both cornerbacks, so you're still looking at Will Redmond now as your uh, third safety at this point. And I, I think that that might have. Now, look, you're talking about your nickel and your dime back, so maybe, uh, maybe you can get away with having those guys play nickel or dime, and then. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't Isaiah McDuffie primarily a cover kind of a linebacker so that if you needed someone to play that hybrid linebacker safety thing, he might be eventually suited to taking that position? Could be, yeah. I, I think that at least to start out with, it sounds like when Goody drafted him, his comments after afterwards really made it sound like first and foremost he saw McDuffie as a key special teams contributor. So yes, uh, if he can become more, if he can be, uh, you know, one, somebody who's actually playing a part in the defense, I think that would be awesome. I I would be surprised if that is their expectation for him right now. No, not in his rookie year for sure. And so uh, again, I would say safety would be the uh, would be the a one position that they didn't draft other than quarterback. Uh, I'd go safety. Yep, I think we're in agreement with that. Uh, next question from. Goose on Twitter, longtime friend. 
Uh, how well do you think the O-line and secondary will be solidified after this draft? And do you see those positions continuing to demand premium draft picks in the coming years? No question, the Packers have sunk a an absurd number of high draft picks into uh, the O-line and secondary in recent years. And prior to Goody coming in, I think you would say that their hit rate uh, on DBs was pretty terrible. Yes. Since Gutekunst got in, I'm trying to think of any defensive backs they have drafted other than Kadar Holman, who are not big contributors on the team. Josh Jackson. Oh, yeah. Dang it. I always forget. Ah. See, I always forget (laughs) about him because he's so easy to forget about. Yeah. Josh Jackson. Okay. So, Josh. Now, Kadar Holman, I think there's still some hope that he's going to uh, become a contributor. Uh, he, he did get, I think he got more playing time last year than Josh Jackson did. Um, roughly. Yeah. But you know what? Here's the other thing. Kadar Holman is a six round draft pick. So if he makes the team and contributes on special teams for two or three years, that's the expectation. I mean, that's, that's a good six round pick. Anything more than that is a bonus. Josh Jackson Uh, drafted in the second round. You want a lot more than you're getting from him. Right. You need him to be a starter by the second or third year if he's a second round pick or at least a very consistent contributor. So, uh, yeah, I would say Josh Jackson fits into the, uh, you know, high draft pick didn't pan out. But but Gutekunst has been hitting more uh, on the DBs than Ted Thompson did late anyway. So but, you know, I think it goes back to this offensive line. Other than quarterback, probably the most important position on the offense, especially tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, cornerback and edge are the two most important positions on the defense. These, even even if you have, let, let's say Eric Stokes becomes a, a Pro Bowl player next year or in 2022, and Jair still plays at a high level, it wouldn't shock me if they continue to draft corners or safeties relatively high in the draft because it's a premium position where you always want Mm -hmm. depth and you always, you know, in the modern NFL guys don't stay very long because of cap constraints. So, you know, you're always preparing a year or two ahead. And I think that while it may not be first round territory, uh, if all of the needs are addressed in this year's draft and all these guys hit, I think the Packers will continue to spend a lot of draft capital at those positions just because of how important the positions themselves are. Yeah, so I guess there's probably two parts to this question. Number one is how are we set up this year and in the next couple of years with the guys that we do have? Number two, are they going to continue spending high draft picks at those positions? For the second one, absolutely they're going to continue spending high draft picks at, this, at these positions absolutely. because of how important they are. Goody talked about it last night. Um, you know, the, he was asked the question, like, you know, how hard is it, is it hard to draft quality corners? And his answer was more or less, I don't know if it's hard to draft quality corners, but just, you need a lot of quality corners and safeties because of what a pass heavy league it has become. So is it hard to do so? I mean, you know, it's just that the these blazing fast wide receivers are getting better and better and better. And so you need your DBs to get better and better and better. Right. It's just a critically important position and therefore they're going to keep reinforcing it as often as they can. Uh, So do I think we're set uh, at the position right now? 
yeah, I, I, I think we're in pretty good shape. I, I mean, for 2021, having a top three cornerback uh, depth chart looking like J.R. Alexander, Kevin King, and Eric Stokes, uh, and then you could throw in maybe Josh Jackson if he really takes to the scheme, maybe Kadar Holman if he takes that step forward. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good depth chart at cornerback. And along the offensive line, with the addition of the uh, three offensive linemen that they selected in this year's draft, yeah, I think there's enough components on this roster that, and, and also because Brian Gutekunst has a premium on versatile offensive linemen, and they did that again in the draft this year. Especially with Royce Newman. At, especially with Royce Yes, Newman. yes. And, and, and even Myers, the uh, second-round pick, he's a center who could also play guard. Mm-hmm. So y- you're looking at a situation where there is enough depth and talent along the offensive line that they should be able to put together a quality starting five with a couple of backups. Uh, well, let's you know, let's do that. Let's 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 put together who we think our starting five is. You know, I, I think Josh Myers, I see, is going to be the center. I would be surprised I, yes. if they put him anywhere else. Yes, I agree. Royce Newman and Billy Turner. I think one of those guys is probably going to be the right tackle, and one of them is going to be the right guard. Okay, I, I don't agree with that uh, analysis, but okay, it's possible. Well, what, what, what do you see for Royce Newman? Uh, I think he rides the bench predominantly this year. Oh, okay. Um, I, I, I think you still have, to me, it, you know, when Bakhtiari is healthy, it's, it's going to be Bakhtiari, Jenkins uh, on the left side. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Myers, your likely starter at center. And then to me, the right side is either Patrick or Runyon at guard and then Turner as right tackle. That's how I think the season starts if if uh, Bakhtiari is healthy enough to start the season. Hmm. That's interesting. So Royce Newman we drafted in the fourth round. Uh, let me see. Was Lucas Patrick drafted? Uh, I don't. Think so, but if it was, it was pretty late. He was undrafted. Lucas Patrick was undrafted. We took John Running in the sixth. Royce Newman we took in the fourth. To me, at a surface level, I I, I feel like he's going to be the better player out of those three guys. Very, very he, possible. But he will be I don't know if he's right. I don't know if he'll be ready as a rookie. That's the. That's the $64 question. Of course, we also have Simon Stepniak, I think, predominantly projects as a right guard, right? Yep. Are we in agreement that we're probably looking at Billy Turner as right tackle? Yes, to start the season. Although, you know, again, the versatility thing, he may have to start the season at left tackle uh, if Bakhtiari isn't ready yet. Uh, unless- that would be interesting. Whether they whether they kick Elton out to left tackle or switch right. Billy all the way over, because I I feel like we can pretty decisively say that it's easier to switch between guard and tackle than it is to go from right tackle to left tackle. Probably, and I think it would make more sense to put Jenkins at left tackle and then either plug in Patrick or Runyon, whoever doesn't win the other starting guard position. I think that would make more sense if you're talking about the first three or four games until Bakhtiari is ready to come back. But we'll see. I mean, and you know what? 
between now and the start of the season, there's going to be injuries. There's going to be surprises in training camp. There's going to be all kinds of things that are happening that we can't account for. But uh, if if I had to say as of now, I think it goes Bakhtiari, Jenkins, Myers, uh, probably Runyon, and then uh, Turner as your starting five. All right. All right. I, I, I think that that probably lines up pretty closely with where I view it. I think uh, so. you have Runyon at right guard. I probably would have Newman at right guard. But we got – I mean – as uh, Goody and Lafleur both said, we got to get these guys into camp. You don't know what you have until right. you get them in the building. So probably pretty premature for me to uh, project Newman there at right guard. But Josh Myers, to me, bona fide center. I can't imagine they're going to stick him anywhere else. Agreed. Or let anybody else start ahead of him. Uh, unless there's an injury and they have to. I agree. Well, okay. That's always the caveat with every position. But Right. Right. All right, final question here from Mike Rathbone again on Twitter. Can the Packers hire an outside arbitrator for peace negotiations between the front office and Rodgers, not to settle a contract, just for peacekeeping? The first, I guess, thing that came to my mind when I was thinking about this is, I guess I have a little bit of frustration towards Mark Murphy and that on the surface might surprise you a bit, but Mark Murphy was around back when everything hit the fan with Brett Favre. Yeah. He was new on the job, but he was here. Gutekunst is still a pretty young and new general manager. I feel like Mark Murphy had a responsibility to learn from the past and make sure that Rodgers knew, or that Goody knew, rather, that Goody knew, listen, Brian, you need to talk to Aaron before you draft a quarterback. The fact that you are willing to draft a quarterback and considering it, your QB1 needs to know about that. Why? Because I lived through Favre, <laughs> and I'm learning right. from my mistakes of the past. Um, I, I'm kind of going to put a lot of the onus here on Mark Murphy for letting this situation get to where it is, not on Gutekunst. Well, I think it has to be on, on both of them. And I think, you know, here's, I would agree with you. Murphy probably deserves more of, of it being put on his shoulders, but here's the deal coming into last year, go back, you know, 12 months in a week or whatever it is to last year's draft. Everybody knew Aaron Rodgers' personality. Yes. Everybody knows the way he holds grudges, yes. that he never forgets a slight, that he never forgets a play that he ran in 2007, you know? <laughs> exactly. on, hey, it was third and 12, and we ran this play. He was still angry, uh, according to a lot of people, at Mike Holmgren, uh, not Mike Holmgren, at Mike McCarthy for uh, not drafting him with the 49ers in 2005. yes. yes. I mean, the, the fact that they knew that aspect of his personality and they still didn't take precautions. I mean, what is it what what does it cost you as far as the, the, the phone call and the courtesy of just letting your you know, you said you're your QB one. He's more than the QB one. He's the face of the franchise. Yes. He's your Hall of Famer, you know, future Hall of Fame two, back then two time MVP, Super Bowl MVP. You know, he, he is the face of the franchise. And he, to me, 
just to call him up and say, hey, this is what we're going to do, or even this is what we might do if the board falls a certain way, just wanted to give you a heads up and we're still committed to you for the next two, three, whatever it is, years. You know, what does that cost you? What's a phone call? You know, uh, so, you know, you saw the Buccaneers do it with Tom Brady and they didn't even draft a quarterback in the first round. It was what second or third mm-hmm. round that they selected a quarterback. So second, yeah, yeah the, the, knowing uh, the, the, the personality of Aaron Rodgers, knowing the situation, I, I think that the organization and you know, that you have the triumvirate of, of Gutekunst uh, uh, number one and, Certainly, you you know, you have your head coach and then you have Mark Murphy, you know, between the floor, Murphy and Gutekunst, they had to a be coordinated and on the same page and B, they all had to speak to Aaron Rodgers and make sure that this was done the right way. And they didn't do it. And that's the frustrating part from a from a fan perspective. Now, getting back to the question that uh, the listener asked. Maybe. Uh, maybe they could do something, uh, you know, whether it's a mediation or, or a therapist or something, but I, I get the feeling that, you know, if they can't sit down and work this out together, uh, having a neutral third party in the room, it might help a little bit move the talks along, but at the end of the day, the parties have to figure this out on their own. Yeah. Andrew Brandt, former Packers executive who now blesses all of us with the wealth of um, experience and knowledge that he has, giving it out freely on Twitter and on uh, his podcast, which is phenomenal. He obviously has a lot of thoughts about Aaron Rodgers' situation here, and he he had a little bit of insight. Well, I guess he had a lot of insight that I found really helpful and appreciated, but he commented this morning, uh, Sunday morning, Aaron knows the reality. He is both the MVP of the league and a placeholder for Jordan Love. The Packers probably wanted the transfer point to be 2022. Now Aaron wants to control that timeline, not let them control it. Fascinating struggle for power, dictation of terms. And I I thought this was interesting because it didn't exactly line up right away with my perception of the situation, which is that, oh, he, he definitely wants out. Listening to Andrew's kind of continued commentary and and leaning on his wealth of experience over the years, he has a different perception of what's going on here. And look, Aaron does not have a ton of leverage in this situation. He is under contract. He cannot force his way to another team. The Packers, at the end of the day, say they're unwilling to trade him. Uh, at least this year, they would be prepared to just let him sit out. And so, you know, blowing things up and and taking it public was one of the only ways he had to, to increase his leverage here. And I think Andrew is entirely correct that, yes, Aaron wants something, and that thing that he wants is probably some control over the situation and to ensure that, look, I don't want to just sit around here and and you know be a lame duck quarterback and get forced out in a year. I'd like to go out on my terms, and so that's either going to be right now or it's going to be when I'm ready ready to retire. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that, you know, I think Aaron Rodgers has a lot of leverage in the in in the sense that uh, the Packers without Aaron Rodgers are a team in my mind that are roughly a five hundred team, and with Aaron Rodgers, uh, they're a Super Bowl contender right now. And so, you know, if he decides, you know, he may not be able to force a trade to another team uh, in that sense. But if he says, hey, I'm retiring, I'm sitting out, uh, the Packers are clearly not the team they are if he if he's their starting quarterback, you know, the weekend after Labor Day. So to me, that's his leverage and the public pressure that was created when he made the announcement or at least had it leaked out that, you know, Hey, I, I want out. Uh, that is his leverage because the, the public pressure is all going to focus on the Packers and how they handle this moving forward. So to me, uh, you know, this is a bit of a game of chicken and both sides, you know, need to figure this out. Uh, if Aaron Rodgers wants to continue his career, the Packers are in a position to say, Either you're doing it with us or you're not doing it this year, uh, which gives them a certain amount of leverage. But I think in the uh, on the flip side of that, because the Packers are so much uh, compromised on the field, if Rodgers isn't there, he has a lot of leverage as well. This team spent the entire offseason building up to, uh, you know, preparing for a season where they viewed Aaron Rodgers as their starting quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, interestingly, you know, going back to the point you made just a minute ago about uh, Aaron getting support from the fans and, and putting pressure on the Packers. I was curious what the overall reaction of Packer fans was to this. Are, are you more like frustrated with the Packers? Do you think Aaron is right here or are you more on the side of the Packers and you think, Aaron is being ridiculous. I was just curious. So I ran a poll on Twitter, had over 500 people responded. Nearly 70% of people said they sided with the Packers on this. I found that Mm -hmm. fascinating. I was not expecting that result. To me, I would say I think that uh, this is kind of having the opposite uh, desired effect um, from what uh, Aaron was hoping for. And uh, so Aaron is at the or uh, over the last weekend, he was at the Kentucky Derby and had the opportunity to talk to the media, kind of refused to. He was talking to uh, Mike Tirico and uh, he's told Tirico that he was disappointed the news to come out uh, about his rift with the Packers and expressed how much he still loves Green Bay. Andrew Brandt immediately took to Twitter and said, okay, this is what you call a hedge. <laughs> and I've, I've heard yeah. I've heard a couple other people. Um, uh, Aaron Nagler was one who pointed out that he kind of expects Rogers to eventually walk some of this back, you know, like, look what, and, and, and here, here's the situation when you are, when you're not seeing eye to eye on an issue. And when you are not close to a resolution, both sides are always going to take the the furthest possible stance from each other. They're going to go to the extremes because you know that the ultimate conclusion is going to, the resolution is going to be somewhere in the middle. Usually, usually mm-hmm. neither side totally gets what they want. So it's going to be somewhere in the middle. So if you are starting out at more of that reasonable, 
mid-ground position and the, and the other side is taking their hard line, you know, all the way on the other side stance, you know you're going to be giving up a lot to find that new medium in between those two points. So you start out at both extremes, and then as your uh, your conflict gets resolved, you have to walk back some of those things you've said. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I think that there's a high chance that Rodgers will, in fact, be under center again in Green Bay for the 2021 season. Not sure I have any confidence he'll be there in 2022. I think they probably will trade him a year from now. But in 2021, mm-hmm. I don't think there is any chance they trade him. I think that either he plays or the Packers are forced to go ahead and, and play somebody else while Aaron sits out for a year. Well, the the middle ground of that is they wait till June 1st to trade him because there's different salary cap ramifications if they do that. But, uh, yeah, well, I, it, I think it, it, I think middle ground is they trade him a year from now because the Packers want to keep him longer than that. And Aaron wants to go now. I think the middle ground right. is he plays for one year and then they cut him loose. Yeah, no, that that is definitely a, a, a possible resolution. But he has to agree to that. And he has to you know, the, the problem is this. The one thing you don't want is an Aaron Rodgers in the locker room as a clubhouse cancer. Oh, no. For and. Sure. You know, he has to he has to be dedicated. His heart has to be in it. He has to put in the work uh, and and has to do everything he can in his power. And then, you know, how ironic would it be if they reach that agreement and then he wins the Super Bowl this year? I, I think mean, it's highly likely. The, Look. Yeah. I mean, think, think, that, think back to the uh, the Chicago Bulls and, and the last dance with Michael Jordan. They knew right. they knew he wasn't coming back. Everybody knew he wasn't coming back. This was this was the last opportunity, I think. Last Dance Green Bay edition, very high likelihood you see that this year. Yeah, very possible. All right, should we talk about the rest of these draft prospects or, or keep talking about Aaron Rodgers? Uh, I think we should do a little draft uh, something or other. Uh, I mean, you know, we still have a few minutes, so let's let's do it. I'm so excited about this draft class, I, and, and I'm excited to see that a lot of fans feel the same way. This 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 draft class... I think hits a little bit different than a couple of the last ones we've had in that every pick at the moment they were drafted, you felt like, oh, yeah, I could see this guy playing this year. This could be a – I mean, he feels an immediate need that we have. Doesn't make it necessarily a better draft, but more instant gratification, more exciting, more fan-friendly draft, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and I think unlike a year ago – you know, we had the reader ask the question about uh, what are our needs after this draft? A year ago, you looked at our first three picks and you were like, well, we didn't need a quarterback. We already had Aaron Rodgers. Uh, we had two very good running backs in in Jones and Jamal Williams, and we selected a running back. And I think we just drafted a tight end in the third round a year ago. Mm-hmm. And we had three or four other tight ends. And nobody knew how good Robert Tunyon was going to be this year at that point. But tight end wouldn't have jumped off at you as, you know, those three positions would not have been anywhere close to our three biggest needs. That's a good point. And we didn't address those needs. This year, we addressed, you know, we checked all the boxes with the possible exception of safety. Well, and I'll, I'll tell you exactly what the difference was this year between last year and this year. It's just how the board fell. Last year, eight, at the end of the second round, A.J. Dillon was the highest guy they had on their board. And then, so that's who they had to take. 
you look at the massive run on wide receivers that happened last year right before the Packers got on the clock in in the second round. I mean, heck, in the first round, there were there were plenty of guys that they we knew that they wanted that just were gone before it was their pick. And th- that's just how the board fell. It, it genuinely comes down to chance and luck. You have to take the best guy on your board, the guy who's the best value, and we know that the Packers have tiers on their big board. They have right. their 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 draft board. They have tiers. These are the guys that we consider, um, you know, really elite uh, talent in the in the early first round. And look, Jordan Love, he's falling in the draft. He's the last guy that we consider to be one of these top tier prospects. He is within trading range. We consider a good value draft to go up and trade trade away our fourth round pick to go up and get him so we have to do that this year the board just fell really differently in the second round uh they goody said that they had two guys they were really high on in the second round one was josh myers center of ohio state and the other guy was wide receiver amari rogers and goody said that he absolutely would have been fine with taking amari rogers in the second round as soon right. and he had to decide which of these two guys do I want. Well, offensive line is our biggest, most immediate need because we just don't have the guys in the on the roster right now currently to put together a starting lineup they really feel comfortable in. I gotta take Josh Myers. And then as soon as he did, he said that he immediately wanted to start working the phones. He would have been happy to give away the farm to trade up into the very next pick to take Amari Rodgers. He was elated that he was able to get him in the third round. He said, look, I got both of my second round guys, but I didn't have to, yep. I didn't have to spend another second round pick to do it. So he was beyond excited. Yeah, no. And, and that's uh that's a very good pickup under those circumstances. If that's how your board looked and yeah, I mean the, at, at the end of the day, the Packers have to be pleased with that outcome. Now, obviously, those guys have to go out there and, and get the job done on the field. But, yeah, I, I think that Goody is is very happy with the way that that played out. One thing that they were really excited about uh, their draft picks was the level of competition that a lot of these guys had played against. You know, you look at Eric Stokes from Georgia played against some of the best young wide receivers in the NFL right now including Justin Jefferson, who he's going to face twice a year at least. So they were ex- yep. super excited about that. Uh, you look at Josh Myers, you know, going up against uh, Alabama and uh, Christian Barmore. Look at Amari Rogers playing um, for Clemson. These are massive big-time schools, programs, and they're being matched up against elite players on the other side of the ball each time. And the, that gave gave the Packers a lot of confidence in these guys. <clears throat> One note, by the way, with Royce Newman that I had kind of forgotten. Uh, he, in 2020, he started all 10 games at right tackle. So that is an option if you want to put Billy Turner over at left tackle. Uh, maybe right. Royce Newman gives you an option at right tackle there if uh, he really impresses you in training camp. Yeah, if he really impresses you in training camp and, and you think he's ready. Uh, you know, and look, John Runyon played tackle in uh, college as well. 
that's true. So again, in in a pinch, these guys can certainly come in and and cover that position. Uh, what do you, do you do? You know much about uh, Tadero, TJ Slayton? Uh, I know a little bit. Uh, I, I certainly did some research on him. I mean, he is, I would say, predominantly going to be a run-stuffing mm-hmm. kind of a guy. Not a lot of pass rush, but I think he can get some penetration. He did in college, got some penetration on running plays. So that that is encouraging. And yes. look, uh, ask any Packer fan, do we need to improve <laughs> our run defense? Uh, not too many of them would ever say yes. So, yeah. <laughs> or with, with, nobody would say no, you mean? Exactly. I, I was being sarcastic, but yes. Well, I think, you know, one thing with T, with TJ Slayton, actually two things. Uh, first thing, you look at a game like the 49ers game that, that we had in 2019, both of them, especially, right. especially the second one. How nice would it have been to have TJ Slayton stand on the sideline and say, hey, get in there and take Raheem Mostert's head off. <laughs> Just sit on him. Stop, stop him from blasting down the field you need that big run stuffer situationally also uh for a nose tackle his pressure percentage that he was getting on quarterbacks absurdly high for a nose tackle at least in Mm -hmm. college uh right around 10 percent. that's that's pretty good 10 percent is kind of the threshold for whether you suck or are competent at edge rusher so he's mm-hmm. getting that he's getting those numbers at you know along the interior, which wasn't resulting in sacks so much. Um, but I mean, he had five quarterback hurries, uh, and and you can't discount that. I, I think that uh, T.J. Slayton to me, when I look at him, I see a guy who has not played defensive tackle very long and is kind of raw and unrefined, but he yep. is not limited. Physically, I think that this is a guy who, if you coach him up right and if he works hard, there's no reason that he can't be a starter for this team. Stick him next to Kenny Clark. Look, a big, fat, big-bellied, run-stopping D-tackle that we can sit next to Kenny Clark has been my number one request of Gutekunst for two straight years. I have talked your ear off about it, Gil, on this podcast. You know that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm very I mean, happy. You're not wrong. I'm very you're happy. You're not wrong. This is possibly yeah. my favorite pick in the draft, especially given how late we got him. Uh, you know, for it to be a fifth round pick, take a flyer on this guy who checks every box. Uh, I think for the value that you would typically get out of a fifth round pick, uh, I could not be happier uh, with Slayton. No, I think it was a very solid pick in the fifth round and certainly an area of need. And uh, hopefully he can add to the run defense and make it uh, make it better because, like uh, like we both said, Lord knows we need it. Let's talk about Josh Myers. Josh Myers, uh, according to PFF, did not play super well this past year. But there's obviously always more to the story. Um, he did give up... Uh, two sacks in only uh, five games in 2020 because the Big Ten played such a short schedule, which is not good at all. But let's look at at what else we know about him. He was the team captain in 2020. It's a massive deal at Ohio State, which is a big program. Second team All-American. Started 21 of his final 22 games as a Buckeye. 
He's also enormous. He's much bigger than Corey Lindsley. Six foot five, 310 pounds. His arms are a little bit on the short side. Uh, and a little bit of, of his form, I think, is lacking. I've seen a bunch of different places comment that his, um, what do you call it? Your, <laughs> when, when you're not standing up straight, what, what do you call that? Your, uh, Pad le- his pad level. Yeah, he's he he plays out over his toes a bit too much, and sometimes right. I see a little bit in his game that reminds me of Kamal Martin, linebacker, in that mm-hmm. Kamal sometimes just goes flying in there trying to get the big hit, and he didn't necessarily make the right decision before committing so hard physically. I see that right. a bit in Josh Myers sometimes, where he kind of goes after the guy really aggressively, and when he hits, you know, he sends the guy. Uh, somersaulting backwards, but he misses sometimes, and that is where some of those sacks have come from. Mm-hmm. Josh? Yeah, no. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, go ahead. Yes. Oh, I was just going to say, Josh Myers, to to me, I, I think, is a, a candidate for uh, one of the guys who can have the most immediate impact on the team, and I see him as a potentially a, a really long-term uh, um solution here at center and it's kind of kind of fun and poetic in a way that he's replacing Corey Lindsley who was also an Ohio State center yeah Buckeye replacing Buckeye who would have thunk it <laughs> what were you gonna say no no we covered it we covered it it's all good all right uh let's go ahead and take a look at Shamar Jean Charles or how how did you pronounce it did you say Jean Charles uh, yeah, I'm not even Jean sure. Charles from App, Jean from Charles, App State. Yes, if you want to get French, yeah. <laughs> I, I tell you what's going to mess me up a little bit about him. His his uh, username on Twitter is Sherm. So I, I immediately just see that. And I think of Richard Sherman. And so then I uh-huh. then I struggle to remember his actual first name. It's Shamar. The R does come after the M. But then his Twitter username is Sherm. So maybe that's his nickname. I don't know. But Shamar, uh, maybe. Jean Charles, or Jean Charles. This is a guy I actually had heard of before the draft. Uh, I know that uh, some, kind of the reaction when he was drafted was, who the heck is this guy? I actually had heard of him, and he was darn good. The question that you had about him was the level of competition he had played against you know app state Mm -hmm. they they don't play a lot of great schools he balled out and did amazing against all these smaller opponents and so obviously the big question is is that going to translate to the nfl well gutekunz felt that it was a likely enough chance that it was worth spending a fifth round pick on him yeah yeah, and look, this kid has a lot of uh, raw athletic ability. He was among the leaders in the country at passes broken up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so yeah, is he raw in some ways? Yes, but he's talented. He seems to have a nose for the for the football, and I think that again, you're talking about a fifth round pick. Do you expect him to come in and start? No. But can he contribute in uh, maybe, uh, you know, special teams and a little bit on defense over the course of the season? Yeah. And then where is he two years from now, three years from now, et cetera? Yeah. So he runs a four five one. He's not the fastest guy in the world. Uh, and he is five foot ten and three eighths inches. Can't forget the three eighths uh, weighs a buck eighty four. <laughs> Goody was asked a little bit about where he sees him playing. 
Is his size going to limit him to only playing on the interior? Um, Goody was quick to mention Nickel as a possibility for where he could play. Uh, Don't necessarily have to limit him to the slot corner. But he also said that he doesn't think he's going to be limited to never playing outside, which I thought was interesting. Uh, You didn't see a lot of that from him in college, but... Gutekunst, you know, spends a billion hours watching these guys and trying to figure out where he thinks they could play. And he was pretty quick to defend the idea that Jean-Charles actually might be fine on the outside, uh, especially in a pinch that, uh, you know, if if you're missing some guys, this is a guy you could move to the outside. So right. exciting prospect. I think um, Jean-Charles is a guy, especially with covid and the limited uh games that everybody played with the limited uh t- tape that was out there with no combine this is one of the kind of players who in a normal year might shoot up a lot higher in the draft and mm-hmm. you know maybe he's no good that's totally possible but also totally possible that the packers saw from him on film a lot of potential that nobody else even noticed cuz who the heck was scouting uh, this kid from App State, and probably not a lot of teams. So I, I think he's kind of a steal at uh, at a fifth round pick that was helped by it being a COVID year. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that uh, again, for a fifth round pick, I was very happy with this selection. What do you think about our, our last three picks? We got Cole Van Lannen from Wisconsin. Uh, he played forty five games, nineteen starts at left tackle. I'm not sure where else he started. Uh, the the couple of articles that I mentioned just kept mentioning his 19 starts at left tackle. Uh, I, I believe that he spent a decent amount of time on the right side of the line, but I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. We took Isaiah McDuffie, uh, former A.J. Dillon teammate over at Boston College, linebacker. And finally, we wrapped up the draft with running back Kylan Hill out of Mississippi State. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, we talked a little bit about McDuffie. I think that he might be able to, you know, be a special teams contributor right away mm-hmm. and eventually fall into that, you know, pass coverage kind of linebacker that the team has lacked. That that was supposed to be Oren Burks's role, yeah. and he never really grew into it. Uh, Hill, I think, you know, he'll fight for the, uh, you know, RB3 position, uh, you know, also probably contribute on special teams. And, uh, you know, Van Lane and I think you're talking about depth along the uh, offensive line. We draft a lot of them. We drafted three last year, three more this year Uh, may end up on the practice squad to start the season. uh, But I think that he'll be competing for, you know, those last couple of spots on the roster uh, and and to if he can contribute on special teams and on coverages and blocking and all that that'll maybe give him a, a leg up on getting that roster spot as opposed to the practice squad spot. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I would kind of lump Van Lannen in with um, with the three offensive linemen we took last year. We got a lot of O-linemen on the roster right now. I think we have 12. We got Jake Hansen, I, I would guess, is he's probably very bottom of the uh, depth chart right now. Spent, mm-hmm. spent a lot of the season last year on the practice squad. We talked uh, a good bit over the last uh, month or two about possibly having him play center. 
I just think that uh, you know, looking at, at we added three new guys in this draft. Uh, there was two other six rounders we took last year. He was, you know, couldn't even make the make the team make the fifty three for most of the last season. We also have Ben Braden on the roster. I kind of see Ben Braden and Jake Hansen as like, you know, you get another chance, but you're probably out of here. Zach Johnson also I put right down there at the very bottom. I, I don't have a, a ton of confidence that, that those guys are going to win a roster spot. Cole Van Lannan to me is kind of the next tier up before you get into like Simon Stepniak, uh, uh, John Runyon, Lucas Patrick territory. Right, right. Yeah, that, that, that sounds reasonable. And again, until we see them in pads and in preseason games, uh, you know, it's all speculation. But I think that, you know, that's a reasonable expectation of what these these guys can and hopefully will accomplish. Now, Kylan Hill, I will say uh, I have kind of a major red flag with him. The dude cannot block. He's going to have to no. he's going to have to learn how to do that in in uh, the, the preseason and training camp this year or he's not going to see the field at all. I mean, A.J. Dillon barely saw the field at all in 2020, including in games where we were missing Jamal or Aaron Jones. And that is because the Packers did not trust him to pass block. Kylan Hill has one of the lowest pass protection grades that I have seen on a running back in a long time. Uh, he to, to me... Um, until he fixes that, he is strictly going to be relegated to special teams. If he can learn to pass protect, uh, this is a guy who I think has a lot of potential to do some damage on offense. He's got a great body, great running form. I think his his vision at times is a little bit lacking. That's, that's something that he's going to have to work on. But from a physical standpoint, it's hard to complain. The guy has the body to take a beating and to uh, send some other guys rolling. You know, what you're basically doing is describing Dexter Williams 2.0, and that's who he's going to probably fight for that RB3 position. Dexter Williams, outstanding runner, can, you know, do it all, can catch some passes, get him into space, he's deadly, but, you know, doesn't run the precise routes and can't pass protect, and that in, in the minds of Matt LaFleur and uh, Gutekunst, that keeps you out of the lineup. Yeah, I, I, I don't see Dexter making the roster this year. Uh, I think he's going to get cut. I think this is his last chance with the Packers, predominantly because he wasn't even able to be relied on on special teams this past year. I think Kylan Hill is probably our new Dexter Williams and is – I think he's a candidate for following a similar career path if he can't learn to pass protect, which Dexter seems to have never been able to learn how to do. We also do have uh, Patrick Taylor and Mike Weber on the roster uh, as well. Kylan Hill, I think I would probably rank ahead of both of those guys on the depth chart would be my guess, but we'll have to see. Get them in the building, see what they can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and look, there's always a couple of surprises in training camp that you're not expecting. And, you know, whether it's maybe Dexter Williams takes a big step forward. Kylan Hill takes a big step forward. Patrick Taylor takes a big step forward. Somebody's going to come in there and surprise people. Uh, and, and it may or may not be a running back. We'll have to see. So a couple of names on this list that we really have run out of time to talk about, which is fine because I, I think that they really deserve 
a deep, deep dive, and so we'll probably want to get into that next week. We didn't talk much about Eric Stokes. Uh, we did cover him a little bit last week, but uh, now that we've had a chance to watch some film and get um, some more information on him, I think we have some some more interesting things to talk about with him. Also, Amari Rogers. I think those two guys, uh, and and uh, well, we'll see. Those two guys for sure. I think we're going to want to talk about next week. Uh, very interesting prospects with a lot to offer. And for right now, we have a debate topic. We didn't do a debate topic last week because it was such an interesting episode and we were recording it at like practically 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here we go. Gil, which rookie that we drafted here do you think has the best chance to make an immediate impact in 2021? You can go first. I get to go first. Uh, all right. Uh, immediate impact in 2021. Uh, you know, I, I I have to say Josh Myers probably has the best chance of starting. I think Josh Myers starts as a rookie. I think other members of this rookie class will certainly contribute. But to me, Myers has the best chance of, of starting because of the departure of Corey Lindsley. And, and I think he's going to be the answer to the uh, poll question. Josh Myers is an excellent answer. I'm going to go with Amari Rogers, and I think looking at the Tyler Irvin slash Tavon Austin role, looking at special teams, punt and kick returns, Amari Rogers is your guy this year. You and I have talked going over how horrible our special teams was the last couple of years. Goody clearly has addressed that in this draft, and Amari Rogers, I think, is going to be a key piece. We are going to finally have a dependable returner. He was phenomenal in college. Uh, handling special teams. Goody and LaFleur both talked about Rodgers. He's not just going to be that jet sweep guy. They also have a bunch of routes that they're going to be using him um, with on offense where his main assignment is going to be, hey, go dig out that safety and get Devontae open. A lot of the time, that was kind of a hole for the Packers uh, over the last two years is a lack of really dependable route runners um, that could free up other guys. And I think Mario Rogers is going to be a big part of that. And then here's the other thing. Rogers gets on average eight yards after the catch. That's crazy. The guy's practically getting a first down after the catch. Every single time you throw to him, is he going to be a major target for our quarterback this year? He doesn't need to be in order to be an immediate massive impact on the offense. All right, well, we'll see what our listeners think. Why don't you tell us where they can vote? Yeah, head on over to Twitter. Check us out at JJ Leahy and at Gil Packers. We're both going to pin the poll to the top of our profile and let you vote. Which of these guys do you think is going to have the bigger immediate impact in 2021? And we'll be right back here next week. Send us questions on Twitter, or you can email them to us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show. Thank you, Gil, for joining me, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com